Dorothy wakes up and her, you know, Auntie M is around and all the farmhands and everybody. And and she says to them, uh, if I ever go looking for my heart's desire, I'll know not to look any further than my own backyard. Welcome to Together All the Time, a podcast about being stuck at home indefinitely with whoever else lives there. It has been almost two weeks since I last spoke to my guests. In that time, the novelty of sheltering in has faded, and they have begun to confront a new reality, that of the pandemic being with us for a long time. As the world outside appears more dangerous, Deidre, Henry, Liz, and Julie retreat into their homes for longer periods. Home becomes a place of comfort and safety, and my guests look to nostalgia to carry them through. Deidre, her husband Ben, and their 8- and 11-year-old daughters manage their new lives in close quarters. Deidre and Ben work remotely while the girls try to keep themselves occupied and entertained. As the family's world gets smaller, new objects, foods, and projects take on a larger significance. An old typewriter Ben found in the basement brings excitement to the family. I love the sound of the of the keys clicking and the girls are super fascinated with it and they've started writing letters to their friends on the typewriter. It's so cute. And Ben's been writing actually a lot of very thoughtful and poignant letters to old college friends and they're so beautiful and heartfelt and poetic. And he used to write me letters like this when we first started dating. And I love seeing that side of him come out again. Deidre's kids stay close to their comforts, watching the Disney Channel and playing games at home. But reality suddenly hits like a ton of bricks when the family goes out for a walk after having not been outside in a few days. From the minute we left the house, I noticed my 11-year-old just something changed in her. And she started looking really terrified. And we went to the gas station to get some ice cream. And she just kept saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. And I said, I really want to go on this walk. Can we just walk a little further? So we walked a little further. And then she just begged to go home. And I said, what is it? And she said, I don't want to talk about it right now. So we went home and she locked herself in her room. And then later that evening, she told me that being outside and seeing everybody wear all the masks and the ambulances going by just terrified her. And my heart kind of broke into a million pieces because I thought she's just lost her childhood. Like right now is how it felt. It's been very abstract and staying home with mom and dad. And it became so real for her, this whole thing. And I can't stand that she has to go through this and that I have to watch my kids going through this. And I know they're healthy and we're safe here. But, you know, that night, my seven-year-old is eight-year-old now. She's asking, are we going to get the virus? Are we going to get the virus? Are we going to get the virus? It really kind of broke me. Frustration and fear hide just under the surface for both daughters. The playgrounds and parks they used to visit are now inaccessible. School happens on a screen, and the energy of friends and classrooms recedes into memory. The only socializing the siblings are able to do in person is with each other and their parents. 
In the midst of all this, Deidre finds a surprising way to let her kids release some of the difficult emotions they have been experiencing. Last night, we got into the most epic pillow fight. They were having such a hard night. And then we just started hitting each other with pillows. And it got kind of, we could tell that everybody kind of meant it. (laughs) Smacking the crap out of each other with these pillows but not in a way that was actively hurting anyone. And then we started laughing and we couldn't stop laughing. And then we each got into child's pose one at a time and just let the other two bash at one person at a time. (laughs) And it was so amazing. (laughs) And then we started jumping on the bed and just complete, I mean, we had like 10 pillows out and it was, and then we made a huge pillow pile and they were jumping into the pillow pile over and over and over. And I thought, they need this every day. It's a way to like actually hit the people in your house safely. Why didn't I think of this sooner? They really need this outlet of just, they have all these feelings. Meanwhile, in Fairfield, Connecticut, my cousins, Henry and Liz, both college sophomores, spend their days completing each of their university's semesters via online classes and struggling with the monotony of life inside the house they grew up in. Our sit-down meals, like we usually only do one sit-down meal a day, dinner. And um, it's definitely been, there's not much going on. So there's not a lot to talk about anymore. Yeah, we spend all day together. So it's like we can just tell each other as it comes up anyways. Henry and Liz try their hardest to stay connected to the social lives they built at school. A single Instagram account for her group of college friends gives Liz a chance to communicate with everyone as a unit. Uh, my friends made like a little Instagram page that's like, it's like private, so it's just for us. It's kind of like a Facebook group, I guess. But it's an Instagram page and we all have the login and we all like take turns and post like funny pictures of ourselves or like little updates or like good memories. And those are really fun. For Henry and Liz, the notion of home is complicated. They are technically home, living with their parents, But in the past few years, their lives have moved on to a wider world, and they struggle to conjure the new homes they've found at college. Much of life takes place on a screen. We do like video lectures and video like meetings for classes, which I think Liz is using too. Mm -hmm. And one of the funny things um, that that comes up when you're using Zoom, which is like a video calling software that like a lot of schools are using, is that you can set your background your background image to whatever you want. And so when you're on with your friends, like you're setting your background images to just like the weirdest things, like whatever it could be. And then a lot of people forget what they are. And so they'll like go into a class with their background image being something that it really shouldn't be. Liz and her friend from school study together on Zoom, simply leaving the app open so they are accountable for their time. Recently, they used a creative approach to feel more connected So we were just kind of silent, like, doing our own work. But then we changed our backgrounds to, like, the Reed College library background. So it really looked like we were in the library studying, but we were not. Aww. Julie and her partner Holly had not lived together prior to the pandemic, but they made the decision to cohabitate early on so they would not be apart. Despite the anxiety of the city that surrounds them, Julie is enjoying the constant company, and seeing a lot of humor in it. Well, if it was just me, I would be more of a caveman, and I would be wrapping a piece of cheese around a pretzel stick, and that would be fine. 
That would be fine. I would have a can of tuna and I would open it. I would have a can of soup and I would open it. But she prepares these elaborate meals with really nourishment in mind and versatility in mind. And it's, I've never eaten better in my whole life. To tell you the truth, we laugh at stupid things. Uh, we, we, we mishear each other all the time, which is horrifying, probably a, a, a symbol of our age. But with, then we repeat what we thought we heard. She'll say, Jules, my head was in the cabinet. My head was in the oven. My head was like, get your head out of the damn oven. And, you know, if, or else I'm running water. And she talks to me always when I'm running water with an electric toothbrush. So all you hear is the rumbling of the toothbrush and the running of the water. How can you, you couldn't hear anything. Living with uncertainty is nothing new for Julie. She and Holly spent last spring afraid for Julie's life as Julie spent months in the hospital enduring multiple unexpected surgeries, nearly dying. After almost losing Julie, the couple finds comfort in being kind and forgiving to each other during this time, and Julie is grateful to be home. I think that we've just been very easy on each other, telling each other I love you every chance we get and meaning it, and uh, helping in every way we can. My life is beautiful. And the things that make my life beautiful aren't outside of this apartment. I've never had a wanderlust. Never. I've never wished for something that isn't already mine. As my guests have come to terms with the new limitations placed upon their lives, they have begun to adapt and learn more about themselves. Julie was surprised to find that her neighbors see her quite differently than she sees herself. Bless their hearts, not one, but two people in my building have reached out to me and said, we're getting a delivery on such and such a day and we can add to our order. Do you need anything? Is there anything we can get for you? And it's like, wow, they see me as this old lady who can't can't fend for myself. I know it's a beautiful thing and I, I'm so grateful, but it was a very uh, uh, profound and poignant revelation that I had that, I am perceived to be old and possibly incapable of taking care of myself. This is the truth. And I, I hadn't thought of it. I've lived in this building since 1992. And there was a time when I was the young one in the building. And, and, and now there's so many kids, they get on the elevator. They don't even look up. They're on their cell phones. They don't even say hello because I'm marginalized now. I'm some old lady who lives in the building. And if I could, I'd say, turn your music down. <laughs> Henry is working to improve his relationship with screen time. I really want to work on in developing my own individuality as having this sort of sense that I can like be myself and like be confident in myself without looking at my phone, because I feel like spending a lot of time on your phone actually kind of sometimes makes you lose that kind of domain. So at least for myself personally, it's kind of almost trying to take a step back from that and like not looking at what other people are doing in quarantine and not worrying about that 
and like reaching out to my friends and talking to them when I need to, or like when I'm doing work. So one of my big things is that after my classes, I'll get on like a call with all my friends and we'll just talk about what happened and like what we thought was funny in the class or whatever else we were feeling. So it's like those kinds of moments that I'm looking for and less so like being obsessed over maybe social media presence or like news updates and everything that at least for me kind of overloads my myself. Liz discovered a loophole that allows her to bypass gender stress in her major. Well, okay, so I'm a pure math major. Um, and I'm also like a woman, which is like historically very underrepresented. And like uh, la- this past year, I've started to get like kind of sad about being a math major because it is really hard when you're like, the classroom is like a gendered space for you and it's not your gender. And like, everyone's kind of like, there's a bigger spotlight on you or people are judging you more harshly. But now that I can take my classes online and like watch the lectures, pause them and stuff. And I now have more direct communication with my professor with like video conferencing and like email or we have this thing called slack now which is just like a direct messenger i feel like a lot more comfortable asking questions and i i like math again because i don't have to see like the gross men face to face in stem classes there's less women already so like in my case i'm either like the only one or one of two or three women in my classes and also you know there's like a stereotype about women in stem which is that like we're less intelligent or people just kind of assume that we don't really know what we're doing. Um, and that's really hard to deal with because if someone asks, if your professor asks a question, um, it's like, for me, I feel pressure that I have to be 100% completely right. Or else I'm kind of like letting my whole gender down if I'm wrong. Deidre, who grew up Mormon, but eventually left the religion, has found herself taking solace in spirituality. I walked through Greenwood Cemetery by myself yesterday for an hour and it was so peaceful and there was nobody there and all the trees were out. And I used to love walking through that cemetery. The first time I discovered it was when I lived in the South Slope and I came upon that very Gothic entrance. It was this time of wonder and exploration and I just walked and walked and I prayed for the first time just kind of a hello sound. <laughs> I've gotten really far away from all of that. And so I've, I guess, relearned that my if I connect to something bigger than myself, whether it's nature or higher power, whatever you want to call it, I'm a much more sane person. This is an important time for many religious groups. Passover, Easter, and the beginning of Ramadan are all happening in April this year. With many families separated from one another, gatherings take place long distance via video calls. Those who participate must make use of what they have and improvise where they don't. My mother, uh, she was the daughter of an Orthodox rabbi. And she was a great uh, student of uh, uh, one of the books called The Pirke Avot, The Sayings or the Teachings of Our Fathers. And my mother's favorite expression was, in Hebrew, Ezehu Ashir Hasameach Behelko. And the translation is, who is rich? He who rejoices in his portion. 
So in other words, the richest person in the world is the person who's satisfied with what they have. On Passover, I awoke to find matzah in front of my door. It was delivered by our downstairs neighbors, who happened to have an extra box. It was a small miracle. I made matzah balls and defrosted some pot roasts still in the back of the freezer from Passover last year. I met up with family on Zoom, and we made a Seder happen. Even given sound delay and connectivity issues, we did our best to sing with each other. It was inspiring to see us all together doing something people have been doing for thousands of years in all kinds of places and through various circumstances. At the end of a Seder, it is traditional to shout, next year in Jerusalem. Instead, my cousin Gary smiled and said, next year in person. Together All the Time is written and produced by me, Rebecca Pronsky. Our engineer is Rich Bennett. Our theme song is Nothing Yet from my 2016 album, Known Objects. The other songs in this episode are Chanchana by Rich Bennett and Good Life from my 2011 album, Viewfinder. Subscribe to Together All the Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Our website is togetherallthetime.com.